Good morning, church. Hey, it's so good to be here with all of you today. Thank you guys for being here today. Welcome to Riverside. For all of you who are joining us for Church Online, we're glad that you're here with us today as well. Today, I'm glad you're here. If it's your first time here, I'm really glad you're here. It's a good Sunday to be here because today we're starting a new series that we're simply calling God is for us. And just so you know, this series is going to take us from from now all the way up until Easter. And here's the, the big idea behind this series, that despite what you might have heard, despite what you might be tempted to think from time to time, despite what the world around us says, we, we serve a God who is with us and who is for us. In fact, he has never not been for us. We, we know a God who is all-powerful. We, we are invited into relationship with God, our Father, who knows us by name, loves us as we are, and has chosen us to be a part of his family. God is with us, and God is for us. The problem is, as you probably well know, is that it's really easy to forget that. Uh, In fact, sometimes, especially when you're up against it, whatever it is for you at the moment, you sometimes wonder if this is true. But the reality is, every testimony is, they all come from an adversity where God had the opportunity to prove that he was faithful, that he really was for you. And so what we want to do, starting today, we're going to do this today, we're going to do this throughout this series over the weeks to come from now up till Easter, is we want to start collecting these stories, these testimonies. We want to share and tell these stories of how God is for us. I've got some friends, they're going to come down and they're going to pass out some cards this morning. And I want to invite everybody to take a card. And I want to invite everybody to do this uh, if you're able, if you can. Uh, The the card is simply has a, a short prompt asking you to share a time, share a story where, where God was for you. And it may be a moment in your life where at the time you didn't know, you couldn't see it. But looking back on that time, now you can see how God was with you, how God was for you. Maybe it was a time in your life where maybe for you or for your family, finances were tight. You didn't know how you were going to make ends meet. And God provided in in a situation where there seemed to be no way God made a way. Maybe there's a time in your life where you were, you you needed a a new job or a new house or a new car or a new opportunity or, or something. And it didn't seem like any doors were opening. And then at just the right time, God came and God made a way where there seemed to be no way. Maybe for you, it was, it was a situation with your kids and you were praying and praying for God to, to help, to provide in the situation where things were, were really desperate and you didn't know where else to turn. So you turned to God and God made a way. Maybe it was a time when you were praying for healing. There was somebody in your family or somebody you loved, somebody you knew that needed help and you prayed and, and God provided that in a miraculous way. Or maybe, can we be real honest? Maybe he didn't. But then God provided friends and family, maybe a church family to come around you in one of the most difficult times in your life. And you knew because of their presence that God's presence was with you. What we want to do is is write down and share these stories, these testimonies of, of those times in our life where we were facing adversity. But now we can see maybe... Maybe we couldn't see it then, but we can see it now, how God was working for our good and for 
his glory. We're going to collect these at the end of our time together. So just take time over the next few minutes while I'm talking, write, write this down. And by the way, uh, there's a, a station in the foyer. We're going to be doing this, uh, this all series long. We want to fill the wall in the foyer with these stories, with these testimonies of how God is for us. While you're doing that, I, I got a question for you. Have you ever been falsely accused of something you didn't do? Anybody ever been there? Ever been falsely accused of something you didn't do? So just a few weeks ago at our house, um, uh, I noticed this, this yellow bag of peanut M&Ms. Any, any M&M fans in the room? Our family loves M&Ms. We love all M&Ms, but peanut M&Ms are among the favorites. This bag happened to belong to my wife, and I saw it sitting out one day, and I thought I'd be funny, and I would just take that bag of M&Ms, and I would hide it. And so I did, because that's what I like to do. I like to do that kind of stuff. Uh, and uh, she realized later on that it had gone missing, and she very quickly blamed my son, Will, and I let her. And this set off just the, 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 the most fun time, one of the highlights of my life probably, because she started accusing him and he started saying, I didn't do it. But in our family, if you can't, if you can't say something with a straight face, we know you're lying. And he couldn't get it out that, that he didn't do it with a straight face. And so she just knew he was lying. And I'm sitting over here just silent and as stoic as I can be, enjoying every moment. I know I'm a terrible person. This is my confession. But uh, it was awesome. I'm sorry, bud. I just loved it. It was great. He's here this morning in the bright orange shirt. You can go talk to him later. And if you really want to, buy him some M&Ms. But uh, it's one thing, right? It's one thing when we're falsely accused of something we, we didn't do and we can laugh about it later. Sometimes there's moments in life like that where it's fun, it's funny, we, 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 we get blamed for something, but we didn't do it and we can laugh it off. But you know, like I know, that there's other times in our lives when it's not a laughing matter. In fact, there's other times in our lives when it, it can be really serious, where we can get blamed for something that we didn't do, falsely accused. And now we don't know what to do. They say that since 1973, some 8,700 people have been convicted of crimes and sentenced to death and sent to death row. Think about that. 8,700 people since 1973 convicted of crimes and sentenced to death and sent to death row. They know, they know their death date. Like all of us know that at some point we're going to die, right? They know the day. All of us know our days are numbered. They know how many days are numbered until they will be executed, condemned to die. They say that out of those 8,700, 182 of those people were later found not guilty. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being maybe falsely accused, sent to death row, and then later evidence was presented and you were exonerated, set free, released from death row, walking outside for the first time free? It's, it's one thing to be falsely accused of something you didn't do, but it's, it's another thing too, right? to be rightly accused. Have you ever been rightly accused for something you did do? Like you know you did it, whatever it was, and now you're terrified of those consequences. You know at some point you're going to have to face the music for whatever it was that you did, and you know in your heart of hearts you're guilty, like you did it, whatever it was. 
And at some point, you're going to have to face the music, come to terms with the gravity and the reality of that situation. The reality is, all of us at some point are going to stand before God, right? And please hear me, I don't say that to scare anybody, and I'm not trying to manipulate anyone, but we probably don't talk about this enough. At some point, we're all going to have to stand before God and give an account for our lives. And the truth is, no matter how good you've been, none of us are going to be able to stand in the presence of a perfect and holy God and not be overwhelmed with how imperfect unholy and sinful, full of sin in that moment. The reality is all of us know, all of us are fully aware of the times in our lives where where we did things that we knew were wrong. We did the thing that we knew we shouldn't do. All of us at the root, at the very center of us, there's something inside of us. We're just, all of us, we're sinful We are self-centered. We're selfish people, right? I mean, all of us. Let's just be honest for a moment. We want what we want when we want it. We buy what we want. We take what we want. We watch what we want. We do what we want. We get what we want. And sometimes, in fact, more often than not, that comes at the expense of another person, of another human being. And we know that, and we do it anyway. And by the way, that is, by definition, sin. I know sometimes we try to let ourselves off the hook and say, I made a mistake. But just so you know, let's just be clear. It wasn't a mistake. You did it on purpose. It was a choice. I did it on purpose. It was a decision, a choice, and it was sin. Sometimes we know what we shouldn't do and we do it anyway. That's half the equation. The other half of the equation is the fact that we know what we should do. And you know what? We just don't do it. We know what we should do, but we are masters at rationalizing our way out of doing the things that we know we should do, but we just don't really want to do. And so we're just, we're just really, really good at making excuses and finding our way out of that, whatever that is. The problem with all of that is that that sin, it separates us from God. That sin separates us from God. And that's a problem because you can't do enough good to outweigh the bad in your life. It just didn't work. Uh, you can't make enough money to buy a ticket to heaven. It didn't work that way. But we've got a problem that, that can't be solved with hard work, with money, or by our network of powerful people. Some of you are thinking, man, I sure am glad I came to Riverside today. This is so encouraging. <laughs> is there any good news? Well, the good news is that there is good news. If you have your Bible or if you have the Version Bible app, I want to invite open up to Romans chapter 8 this morning. Uh, what we're going to do starting today all the way up till Easter is we're going to just kind of sit and dwell in, in this, this one chapter, Romans chapter 8, maybe one of the greatest chapters in the entire Bible. And we want to kind of just, just take some time to walk slowly through these words that were written by a man named Paul. Paul was an apostle. He lived some, ta- some 2,000 years ago, and he knew what it meant to come to grips, to come to terms with, with his sin, with his own sin. He once even wrote, he said, I am the chief of all sinners. That's how, he, that's how convicted he was by his sin about his sin. He considered himself the chief 
of all sinners. And he writes this letter to this small group of Jesus followers, these Christians who were living in the ancient city of Rome some 2,000 years ago. And I want you to hear what he writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. He writes these words, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Let me just read those words one more time and let those words sink into your soul. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Paul wants these these early Christians living in the first century to understand this truth. These people, by the way, who are fully aware of what it looks like to suffer the consequences of not keeping the law, not obeying the Roman law at least. They They are all too well acquainted with Roman roads lined with Roman crosses where people have been condemned to die and hung on those crosses to die because at some level, in some way, they broke the rules. And the punishment for that was death on a cross. And Paul says, I want you to know you're all too familiar with what condemnation looks like. But there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Jesus, who, by the way, was crucified on one of those Roman crosses. Jesus, by the way, who some 2,000 years ago, on the darkest Friday the world has ever known, hung his head and breathed his last. Jesus, who knew what it meant to experience Roman condemnation on a Roman cross. And Paul tells these Christians, here's the good news. If you belong to Jesus, there's no condemnation for you. For those of us who belong to Jesus, there's no condemnation for us because Jesus was condemned for us, which may make you ask the question then, well, how do I belong to Jesus? How do I belong to Jesus? To Jesus. If there's no condemnation for those of us who belong to Jesus, then how do I belong to Jesus? The good news is Paul talks about that. In fact, if you back up a couple of chapters to Romans chapter 6, I want you to hear what Paul says because he explains this. In Romans 6, I'll start in verse 3. He says, have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, so now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. This is how you become a son. This is how you become a daughter of God. This is how you belong to Jesus. It happens in our baptism. This is where we are literally united with Christ. This is what happens in our baptism. And just so you know, we are 42 days away from Easter Sunday. And here at Riverside, that's a special day because not only is it, East, is it Easter Sunday, it's Baptism Sunday, 42 days away. And I want you to think about that. For, for those of you in the room or those of you who are watching online, and at this point in your journey, you haven't made that decision to be baptized, I want you to know I'm praying for you. And for those in the room that that you have made that decision, you're a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to pray with me. Pray for Baptism Sunday. Pray that we'll see people confess Jesus as the Lord of their life and step into the waters 
of baptism. If, if you haven't made that decision, I want to invite you to take this opportunity to really ask yourself two questions. Here's the first question. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that he is who he says he is? And if you do, are you ready to make that confession, to confess, to confess that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of your life? If you're thinking about that, if you can answer yes to those really simple questions, although they're very profound and they carry a lot of weight, a lot of meaning, I want to invite you over these weeks leading up to Easter to talk to somebody. And the reason I say that is because the Christian life, the only way to succeed in the Christian life, it happens in relationship. You were never created to do life alone. So I want to invite you to talk to somebody because you need godly men and women in your life surrounding you, helping you in your journey of faith. And you need to be in a relationship, obviously, and of course, with God our Father. For the rest of us, I want to invite you to be thinking about this. Who do you need to talk to about this? This is an opportunity to have that conversation that maybe you've been putting off with a, a coworker or a friend or a family member or a neighbor or maybe, or maybe one, of your, one of your children. Who is it you need to have this conversation with? And some, somebody may say, well, I, you know, I'm not really good at that. Uh, evangelism isn't my spiritual gift. And I hear that, but I also want to just call that for what it is, right? And I'll call myself out on this as well. That's just fear. Let's call it what it is. Sometimes we're afraid to have that conversation, but let's not be afraid in this moment because God is with us and God is for us. And Jesus, before he left planet Earth, gave us what we call the Great Commission. It wasn't the great suggestion. It's really a great invitation to participate in what he's doing here on planet Earth. And in case you've forgotten what he said, let me just remind you, Jesus tells his disciples, and if you're a disciple, these are his words to you as well. He says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, because of that, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit so they can be united with Christ so that they will know there is no condemnation for those of us who belong to Jesus. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I'm with you always, so don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm for you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here's what I want you to know. If you, if you haven't been baptized and you're thinking about taking that next step of faith on your journey of faith, if you, if you have been baptized, I want to remind you of this. If you're thinking about having a conversation with someone about stepping into this life of faith, uh, to, to accepting the invitation that, that God has offered to all of us, to step into this life, the life that Jesus, the abundant life that Jesus offers, I want you to know that God is for you and God is for us. We live in a world that seems to have forgotten God until everything goes wrong and then we turn to him. But God has declared that he is with us. He is for us. He loves us. He has not forgotten us. And for anyone who takes this step of faith, Paul says this, this is what happens when you decide to follow Jesus. Picking back up in Romans 8 verse 2. Paul says, because you belong to him, because you've been united with Christ in baptism, here's what happens. The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. In other words, when you give your life to Jesus, Jesus gives you his spirit. So not only are you set free from the power of sin in your life, but you're set free to live for him and to experience the abundant life that God has to offer. God wants you to have 
the abundant life. And it's on the table for all who believe. And then Paul says this. This is the God's story. This is the ultimate God is for us story in Romans 8, 3, and 4. He says the law of Moses wasn't able to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. God knew. So God did what the law could not do. God did what only God could do. He sent his own son in a body, just like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared this. He declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice for our sins, the condemnation we deserved. He took upon himself so that you and I could have life, real life, everlasting life, the life that God always wanted for us to have, for you to have. And you hear all that, but you may still be thinking, is God really for me? Is God really for me? If you knew what I knew about me, you would know why I've got questions. Can God really love me? Can God really forgive me for what I've done? Does God really know my name? Does he really hear me when I pray? Is he really there when I need him most? Corey, I've got story after story after story of adversity after adversity after adversity, and I'm not sure looking back, I can see it. I'm not really sure if this is true. Is God really for me? If that's you, I've got some really, really good news. I want to ask our team to bring down the lights and put up on the screen a painting called The Pardon by a French painter. His name is Honoré Daumier. This painting is from the 1800s, and as you can see, it's, it's the painting of a, a French courtroom. As far as I can tell, most of his paintings aren't religious, but this particular one really caught my attention. You can see in this painting you've got you got these three judges in this French courtroom kind of sitting over here as a panel waiting to pronounce their verdict. You've got this faceless defendant here who's sitting kind of dejected and hopeless, no, wait, no, no doubt awaiting the condemnation that is coming his way. Behind him, you've got a galley of people and I don't know if these are police officers or accusers or friends or family or onlookers or who they are, but they sit behind the man that's been accused and awaiting his verdict. And then beside the man, you have this other person who's standing. And if you can see, he's standing there. He's the defense attorney, right? And he's pointing at something behind the judges that the judges, they can't see it. And I don't know if you can make it out, but in the top corner of the screen, he's pointing at a painting that's hanging behind the judges. And it's a picture of the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, I don't know what you see when you look at this, but I'll tell you what I see. I see this man right here who's been accused, who's awaiting the verdict, 
and who's awaiting what he thinks is certain condemnation. And I'm that man. You're that man. We're the ones sitting there waiting to be judged for what we've done. And we haven't been falsely accused. No one's bringing false charges against us. In this moment, we are being rightly accused for what we did, and we know what we deserve, and it's the condemnation that we deserve. I'm that man. You are that man. But beside us, there stands this defense attorney, right? And just like this man, you have an advocate. You have a counselor. You have a defense attorney. And his name is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit always does. He points to the crucified Jesus. He points to Jesus and he says, the condemnation that he deserves, the condemnation that she deserves, Jesus has already taken that upon himself. And because of that, there is no condemnation for this one because they belong to him. Church, what I want you to see is that this is your story. This is my story. The Apostle Paul went on to say it this way later on in in Romans chapter 8. He said, Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? There's no one. No one can do that for Christ Jesus died for us and he was raised to life for us and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand. And you know what Jesus is doing? He's pleading for us. Is there any good news? This is the good news. This is the gospel. In her book, Not Ashamed of the Gospel, Fleming Rutledge writes this, and I love what she says, reflecting on Romans 8. She says, the church knows something the world does not know. We know that the judgment of God is completely enclosed in his mercy. And this is the good news that we have been entrusted to share. This is the good news. There is no condemnation for us who belong to Jesus. Somebody say amen. There is no condemnation for us who belong to Jesus. Can somebody say amen? There is no condemnation for us who belong to Jesus. Church, can we say amen? Amen. This is the good news that we stand before God. But the Holy Spirit stands beside us and he points to Jesus and he says, there is no condemnation for you, for me, for us who belong to Christ Jesus. I hope this morning you've had a chance to write down maybe just one story of how looking back on your journey, you remember that God in that moment was with you. I'm going to ask our friends to come back with their baskets and collect those cards. We want to hang those in the foyer. We want to cover the wall with these God is for us stories.
We know God is for us because there is no condemnation for us who belong to Jesus. And one day we can stand before God without any fear because Jesus has already stood for us and is standing for us, pleading for us. And today, if, you, if you're one of those people in the room who up to this point in your life or you're watching online and you haven't taken that step in your journey of faith to be baptized, I want to encourage you. Take advantage of these next few weeks as we walk through Romans 8, as we walk through this gospel story, as we think deeply about what it means to belong to Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? And if you do, are you ready to make him the Lord and Savior of your life? If so, I want to encourage you to start a conversation. Come find me after church. I'll be in the back. Come find one of our elders. They'll be in the back. Find a, a parent, a friend, a mentor. Talk to someone around you. Tell them what you're thinking about. Enter into a conversation with them because you need to be in relationship as you make this decision. You need godly men and women around you, encouraging you and helping you along the way. And if you have made that decision, we're 42 days away, church. Let's pray. And let's have the courage and the faith to enter into conversation with those around us who maybe it's time to have that conversation and to invite them to step into the life that God has for them. Because this is really good news. There is no condemnation. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to live under the power of sin. We can live a different kind of life, the abundant life that Jesus invites us and calls us into. We can do all of that. You know why? Because God is for us. Church, let's stand. It's easy to forget because we live in a world that is so quick to condemn. But church, we serve a God who is eager to forgive. So this week, I want you to leave this place encouraged. This week, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to leave this place full of faith, full of hope and full of love and full of confidence because your God is with you and your God is for you. You have been invited into a relationship with the God of the universe who knows you by name, who loves you as you are and has chosen you to be a part of his family. God is for us. Let's sing.